I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to episode 29 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, an absurdist horror podcast. We have some new patrons to thank. Christine Mary Huang, Milkman White Badge, Free Falling Upwards, Fly Sprayer, and Milan Negum. Milkman White Badge, thank you very much for your support. I really appreciate it. I also wanted to wish a warm happy birthday to Callum Doherty at Rusty Quill, also, the website was down for a bit, but there's a brand new one up there now. Go have a look at HowieMilkman.com. This episode is called The Message. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. 
I looked over and the peckerhead was sweating all over the place. His uniform was a mess. We were both pretty tired from pushing. We weren't all that far from town and it was cool enough that the milk would probably be okay. With the two of us pushing, it wasn't so bad. At least that's what I told the idiot. I was just letting him do most of the work. The stupid milk truck broke down just under a mile from town. We'd just been out delivering milk to old Travis. I guess that's what the bad omen was about. As we were pushing, I thought back over the past couple of days. The rowboat and the fight with the giant bird. Sometimes I wondered how I kept from going under. But then, some salty old sailor told me that it was a bad omen that the bird had died in the boat and then gotten eaten by the other birds. So strange. Now, normally, I'm not too superstitious. But after the things that had happened to me recently, I began to wonder if the universe held mysteries that were beyond my understanding. Anyways, I got out of the rowboat and told everyone I was fine. They kept asking how I got there, but I just told them that it was milkman business and that I couldn't say any more. And I walked into town. It was a weekday like any other and everyone was just going about their business. If I hadn't died, if I'd never made it back, they'd be going about the exact same business and I wouldn't even exist at all. Everything familiar looked brand new to me. The pastel houses just stood there fending off the weather, the paint peeling ever so slowly, while over the years, people were born in there, made thousands of cups of coffee, and then died. It seemed like none of us really understood what it was all about. No one looked at me, even though I was looking at them. None of them really looked at each other. There was old Mrs. Doyle digging around in her garden, trying to make some flowers grow. I stopped and watched for a minute. Who was she kidding? She was digging and digging, just so she wouldn't have to think about the big, heavy curtain that was about to drop right down on top of her whole show. The pleasant little town was really bothering me, at least in the city where people peed in the alleys and mugged each other with bats and knives. You knew what life was all about. And then I thought back about what the judge had said about me, that I was a creature of pure evil. Maybe digging in the garden was the right thing to do, and it was actually me that didn't understand what life was all about. Maybe there really was something wrong with me. I started feeling again like I couldn't get enough air, like the town was suffocating me. I was in deep need of spiritual counseling, so I made a beeline to the church right after stopping for a quick sandwich at Brixton's. Oscar was setting up for the few old ladies who came in to lunchtime service in the middle of the week. Is Father Whelan in? It's an emergency. He's in the back, just finished breakfast, I believe. Father Whelan was in his office, standing at the little counter with the sink and the holy cups and all of that. He was trying in vain to fold up some linen thing that he wore during services. Father Whelan, I need to talk to you. Howie, you're looking awfully pale. What's the trouble? Something terrible happened. I think I drowned and died and then came back to life. He made some sort of mistake with the folding and had to start again. Oh, for God's sake. Sounds like an awful dream. 
No, it really happened. I got my leg caught in the rope in the water and I couldn't get to the top and I died. Calm down, Howie. Just take a breath. Come on, breathe. Okay, okay. He seemed to be getting annoyed at the folding, so he just tossed the linen aside and turned to face me. Just tell me what's bothering you. Well, when this happened, a judge told me. He said that I was a creature of pure evil and that I was bound to walk the earth forever or until I died, making everyone miserable. You're not well, Howie. I think you should go lie down. He started polishing up a brass cup for the service. But it's true I've done all sorts of awful things. Maybe it's true that I'm possessed by evil. What evil? I scanned my mind for the right thing to say. I lied about being from County Buckle, I'm from Mingsbite, and I lied on my application to the milkman, and then I stole the file so no one would find out. Oh, I see. Well, Howie, I've, I've really got to get ready for service. No, there's more. I've, I've hurt people. I've really hurt them. He paused what he was doing and looked at me with a solemn look. We all hurt those we love at some point or other. It's nothing to do with evil. A lot of the things we do, you know, they're the result of earlier experiences. If, say, someone had a bad childhood and was mistreated by their parents, why, that explains their negative behavior later in life. Or if someone just isn't that smart when they're born, well, it's just a natural fact that they won't make good decisions. And the mind we now know is like a clock. And if some of the gears get broken or they weren't made properly, well, the mechanism just won't work properly anymore. But as the whaler taught us, we must offer our understanding and forgiveness to those who wander off the path. But the idea that there's some incorporeal force of evil that takes hold and makes you do bad things, a demonic possession, that's just nonsense, Howie. But there's nothing in the world but bodies. As he was talking, I slumped down in the chair. I could hardly keep my eyes open. I'd hardly slept for a couple of days at least, and I was really exhausted. You really don't seem well, Howie. I'd go see Dr. Barrett if I were you. Oscar? I vaguely remember stumbling out of the church and Oscar catching me. Oh, there you go. Easy, boy. Easy. Then we were on the sidewalk and I couldn't stand up straight and Oscar was helping me along. Then the smell of crisp, fresh linen and the nice feeling of lying down when you're exhausted. And there was Dr. Barrett looming over me. The next thing I knew, it was morning. The sun was up and I felt a lot better. Dr. Barrett was doing something with some test tubes and beakers and pumps. Ah, he is risen. How did you know? I saw your eyes open. Right. What are you doing there? A hobby of mine. I'm interested in theories of the vacuum. They used to think there was no such thing as a vacuum, that space was filled with ethereos. Oh. So, what happened? You were exhausted, dehydrated. They told me you washed up in a rowboat. I'm, I'm not really sure what happened. I was on a, a mission, a secret one, and I fell in the water, and then I was here. I see. 
You're essentially fine. You'll have to take it easy for a couple of days. I'll be happy to speak with Mr. Corwin about her. I know he can be difficult. Thank you, Doctor. He struck a little flint sparking device and lit the burner holding a beaker above it. Scientists now think that sound cannot travel through a vacuum. Oh, do scientists think there's such a thing as ghosts? He thought about that. It's a good question. Just then Naomi came in. Ah, Naomi, could you go make some breakfast for our patient here? Sure, doctor. And she left. She's begun apprenticing for me. But as I was saying, there are theories about a spiritual realm. If we'd evolved in a place with no air, if we lived in a vacuum tube, we wouldn't need ears because there'd be no sound, see? But maybe some mutations would allow some people to hear in those spaces where there might be traces of sound. Similarly, some ophiosophists claim that most of us simply lack the faculties to perceive the spiritual realm that exists all around us. That the evolutionary imperative to survive meant that we only perceive those things that have to do with survival, and that we're simply blind to large swaths of reality around us. Does that mean we can't tell if things are good or evil? He straightened up. Yes, I suppose the existence of things such as good or evil, things we can't measure or perceive, might well be just as real as height or extension or light if we had the right organs. But we see as if through unwashed windows, murkily. Not too long after, Naomi came in with some tea and toast with butter, which I ate, and then I fell asleep. I woke up to Beaver standing weirdly with his hat in his hand. Corwin needs to see you right away, sick or not sick, he says. I felt a lot better after sleeping again, as I found out later for about 16 hours. So was Mr. Corwin upset because I missed work? Because I was on a mission, you know. It went south and all hell broke loose. I was pretty beat up and you can ask Dr. Barrett about it. Got a letter for you. From who? Find out when we get there. In Corwin's office, I saw something I'd never seen before. Mr. Corwin looked to me to be ever so slightly uncomfortable. We received this in the mail, Howie. It's from the department. From behind his desk, he pulled out a bag that looked like it was made of rubber. It came right from the top, for your eyes only, apparently. He handed me the bag... I untied the rope and reached in. There was just an envelope. When I took it out, I thought I heard a slight gasp from Corwin. The letter had gold edging on it, and there was my name, Howie Coxwell. Corwin stood up and tried to come around to look as I opened it. Didn't it say it was for my eyes only? Give me that. And somewhat rudely, Mr. Corwin took the letter right out of my hands. He read aloud, Mr. Coxwell, you are to report within three days to the Department of Lactic Affairs Experimental Labs at the main station, Mingsbite. You are hereby promoted to Milkman Red Badge, first class, pay grade M6. Your transfer orders are enclosed. Mr. Corwin looked the letter over. This came directly from Stan. He looked miffed and shocked. 
What's this about, Howie? I don't know. I've never even seen Stan, and he's sending messages directly to you? I don't know, honest. I've never seen him either. Okay, Howie. It looks like you're leaving us and getting a pretty good bump in pay, too. You'll have to find your own accommodations, I suppose. He just stood there thinking, but I could hardly believe my ears. It was finally happening. I'd been promoted again, and I was moving to Mingsbite. I was going to return home a hero. I could just imagine myself now, going to my old school, all the kids running up to me. Look, it's Howie, they'd say. And I'd hand out quarters and tell them that with enough hard work, anything was possible and... You take the rest of the day to pack, report back here in the morning. I'm going to bring McMurtle in. He'll have to take over your route. You go with him tomorrow and make sure he's up to the task. Back home, I looked around my place and realized that I didn't have all that much to pack. A few sets of clothes, the book Corwin gave me that I never read. I'd been daydreaming about my new life on my walk back, and now that I was here, the place looked small and shabby. Stormy never liked my room anyways. Stormy. What was I going to do about Stormy? I'd been sent back from the grave, and I'd vowed to do right by her. Maybe this message from the department was all part of the divine plan. Now Stormy could finally leave here and go to Mingsbite like she'd always wanted. But she was shacked up with McMurdle. My first thought was to go right over there and tell her about the big promotion. But then I decided I'd better hold off and think about the right words to tell her. I walked over to the window. There was the view I spent so many hours in the evenings watching. I thought back to the first time I'd seen it and how exciting it was to be starting off a new chapter of my life. But now, I felt I'd outgrown the place and like everything about St. Gas was part of my past. I didn't quite feel sad or nostalgic about it, yet. I went out for a walk to see everything for one of the last times, but it just felt like any other day. I didn't tell anyone I was leaving, I just wandered around trying to soak the place up so I'd have a clear memory of what it was all like. I popped into Mel's for a haircut. I didn't want to show up at the main station looking disheveled after all. I guess you heard about Granard then. No, he's not living with you anymore? No sir, he's not. He was flat broke. He borrowed from the bank to buy the materials for that chip stand. When the whale wrecked it, that was about it for him. Sold everything he had and bought tickets to Mingsbite. I'll definitely miss his sandwiches. Ha! Father Whelan must be pretty unhappy too. I suppose so. That night, as I lay in bed, the old familiar knocking started. That's when I really started feeling like I might miss the place. I wanted to do something nice for my neighbor. So I got up and took my favorite picture of the little boat off the wall. I went next door and knocked. Hello? I'm moving away in a few days and I wanted to give you something to remember me by. I handed her the picture and she took it. Thank you. I felt like I'd done my good deed for the day, but the banging continued as usual. In the morning I went down to the station. I wondered if I'd have to get up so early for my new position. 
It was probably an office-type job, so I'd be able to just lounge around at home for a while and drink coffee and read a newspaper before heading in. I wondered if I'd miss the early morning walks. One thing I wouldn't miss was that peckerhead, McMurdle, who was standing by the truck waiting for me. Looks like we're partners for today. Yeah. I jumped in and so did he. Well, Travis, it looks like McMurdle here is going to take over the route. I've been transferred to Mingsbite. I could have sworn that a look of relief crossed his face. I'm sure you'll be missed. Office job, is it? I think so. Advanced experimental research. They need someone with real-world experience back at HQ. Just remember what I told you. Stay on this side of the ground. And he winked. Travis was a nice guy. I decided to give him some advice, too. Sure thing, Travis, and make sure you stay away from the milk station. The milkmen have their eye on you. And I winked, too. He looked a bit startled. The peckerhead didn't know what we were talking about. And like I mentioned earlier, we didn't make it much past our first stop at Travis's place. So we were pushing the stupid truck along and the idiot decides to start talking about Stormy just to pass the time. I think it only fair to tell you that I plan on asking Stormy for her hand in marriage pretty soon. My first instinct was to punch him in the face, but I decided to keep my cards closer to my chest. Are you going to move into your own place with her? I was thinking we'd move into her old place. So let me ask you, your parents don't mind you guys sleeping in the same room every night? Same room. We have separate rooms. We're not married yet. You mean you guys never... Never what? You know. No, she's not like that. Oh, okay. We are pushing harder now, getting the truck up a little hill just by the first houses. Did something happen when you were with her? Oh, something happened, all right. We were just about at the top of the hill. What? What happened? A gentleman never tells. You tell me right now. But the truck was over the hill and I had to run to hop in before it got away from us. McMurdle hopped in too and we coasted as far as we could. You tell me what happened. No. Did you sleep with her? Look, whatever intimate moments we had together are between me and her, okay? He just got all quiet. I could tell he was pretty steamed, but I felt a lot better since I thought they'd been fooling around all this time. We eventually got a new truck and made the rest of the rounds. It was pretty awkward, but what did I care? The only thing is that I was thinking of going over to McMurdle's place to try to talk to her after work, but now that seemed like a bad idea. I kept remembering that nice shiny rifle McMurdle owned. I bet the peckerhead couldn't even shoot straight, but still... I'd have to think of a different strategy. Maybe I'd write her a letter from Mingsbite with a ferry ticket or something like that. Anyways, after dinner, I kept thinking and thinking about what to do. I couldn't sleep. So I went out for a walk to commune with the moon and think about things. 
It was a perfect night with perfect stars and just a bit cool, perfect thinking weather. I thought back about the first times I'd seen Stormy with her rose bushes and about all the biscuits in the backyard. Those were good and wholesome times. How could anyone say I was a creature of pure evil? I'd made my share of mistakes, I'll admit, but can anyone who loves moments like those truly be evil? I was beginning to think the whole thing with the court was just a dream after all. I'd done some bad things, but deep down, I'm a good person. And there was Stormy's old house, all dark as usual alongside all the more lit up houses. I stood there looking at the place. Stormy accused me that one time of being a peeping Tom. I just stood there wishing she'd show up and that we'd talk. And then I remembered what the kids back home used to say. If you break a window in an abandoned old house, you get to make a wish. So I picked up a rock from the garden, took aim, and threw. I won't tell you what I wished, but I will tell you that it came true almost right away. As I stood there making my wish, I saw a light come on, a match, then a candle. And then, there was Stormy in the window. Howie, what are you doing there? Me, what are you doing there? This is my house. Why did you break the window? Why are you lurking around out there? Still just a peeping Tom, I guess. You must have heard by now, I got the big promotion. I'm headed for Ming's Bite tomorrow. All the hard work paid off. So you got what you wanted after all. I sure did. Hey, why aren't you at McMurdo's? She gave me a dirty look and closed the window without saying anything else. I went up and knocked on the door, but she wouldn't answer. I probably could have kicked the door down or broken another window and gone in, but I thought that would probably just make things worse. So I just kept on with my walking. I wandered down to the harbor. I was alone. I had a bit of a knot in my stomach and I didn't know if this was the moment when everything was going to work out for me and Stormy, or if it was just going to fall apart for good. I knew now that life doesn't always work out like the stories. Sometimes it takes longer for things to work out the right way. And then, far out at sea, there was a green flash. I thought I heard a whale song, and before I knew what I was doing, I was out in the sea, swimming. It was cold, but the water was calm, and I swam with a burst of energy that seemed to keep me warm. I was swimming out like I was under a spell and had no choice. The emerald stars seemed so bright reflecting in the sea with the moon. And there was the Felena coming towards me. It was magical. When I got close, I stopped swimming and floated there, enchanted until it opened its gaping maw. I was being sucked in. I turned and tried to swim away, but of course it was no use. I was sucked down into the entrails of the beast, but somehow I could breathe, and I could see through the whale out to the stars and moon. I felt the big fish dive, and the stars got dimmer and dimmer under all the water. I was lying on a bed of guts and couldn't move. The deeper we went, the less I could breathe. And then there was a stream of little dead fish and bits of plants the Felena must have eaten. It was filling up the stomach. I screamed, but no sound came out. 
until all the muscles around me started heaving and contracting, and before I knew what was happening, I was in the middle of the sea in a huge muddy cloud. When it cleared, I just caught a glimpse of the green glowing whale as it swam off, and I stuck there as if in space by myself, and I couldn't even tell which direction was up. In the blackness I swam, half expecting and then almost wanting to see some dead relatives chasing after me, with bloody clouds pouring out of their heads. But it was just me alone, with no sounds and no voice. When I came to, I was passed out on the wharf with the light pouring down from the moons and stars, and Stormy was there standing over me. Do they really force you to put that radio there? You really think I would do something like that? How did you know I was here anyways? You were screaming. She was just quiet for a while, looking at me. Albert kicked me out. He told everyone about you and me. Everyone's giving me dirty looks. I couldn't stand it at Stanley's Grocery, the cashier, the way she took my money like it was dirty. A poetic feeling came over me, and I knew this was one of those memories that you'll always want to remember. I stood up in the moonlight. This place is no good for people like us, Stormy. We just can't sit around raising cats and getting old while the moons go around and around overhead. She looked up at me like I'd said the right thing, so I went with it. We were meant for adventure, the big city. I'm going to shake the dust of this crummy town off my pants and I'm going to see the world. She looked like she was really getting into what I said, so I decided to try for a home run. And Stormy, I want you to come with me. She broke down in tears and I got closer and wrapped my arms around her. I can stay with you? Of course, we can stay with my mother until we find our own place. She looked up at me with a bit of worry in her eyes. Don't worry, I'm just about 19. My mom won't mind us staying in my room together. As we stood there, looking out to sea, a green flash lit up the sea a few miles out. After that, it was all like a dream that you only remember in bits and pieces. Me throwing clothes in a bag and Mrs. Summertag pointing at the wall where the painting used to be. Stormy dragging a big trunk down to the pier, me buying tickets... Then we were on the deck watching the sunset. We'd taken the overnight ferry and we'd be in Ming's Bight at the crack of dawn. I felt like we were married and starting off our new lives together, and Stormy seemed at times to be sad and aloof. But I guess she had a lot of memories and leaving St. Gaff's was harder for her. But as the hours wore on and there was no question of us sleeping on such a fateful night, Stormy seemed to lighten up and even get excited. She talked about buying women's shoes and walking down the sidewalk like she had somewhere important to be. I told her about some of the places we could visit downtown, and I could see the visions of a new exciting life opening up for her. We can buy a radio. We can listen to Eliza Pike every week. Then, somewhere in the early hours, we saw flashes of lightning far off in the distance. It lit up the mainland. We could almost make out the buildings of some village. There was a rainy storm over the mainland, but we were dry here. The first time I see it, my whole life I wanted to leave and go to the mainland. Then she got teary-eyed. I was born in a storm, 
That's where I got my name. My dad said there was so much lightning they were worried it would hit the house and burn it down. And now I'm finally here. But he's gone, and I'll never get to tell him my first glimpse of the mainland was all lit up by a lightning storm. And she just broke down and wept in my arms. We didn't say much for a long time. But when the sun was coming up, she cheered up too. We were pulling in slow to the city. We watched in the red morning light as the church towers and tall buildings went past. Stormy was entranced and I felt happy that I could bring her here to my hometown. It was like I was showing her a part of myself and bringing her to a big wide world she'd always wanted to see. I held her close and remembered what a wise man once said. No man is a failure if people love him. It was a perfect moment of happiness. We docked, I got my bag, and Stormy got her trunk. We made our way off the ferry, tired but happy. And then there was a paper boy there trying to sell the Ming's Bite Comet to the people getting off the boat. I stopped dead in my tracks when I saw my mother's picture on the front page of the newspaper. And there was the headline, Did Howie murder his father? Yes, says mom.